welcome to The Watcher's Diaries, a weekly podcast all about Buffy. I'm Mary. And I'm Froggy. And this week we're talking about Season 2, Episode 8, The Dark Age. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) I'm so ready. Oh, oh, as the internet says, my body is ready. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Again, I don't really have any announcements this week, so we'll get right into it oh oh good because there's a lot to get into there's so much to get into Um, The Dark Age aired November 10th, 1997, which was, again, a Monday. And our synopsis is, an evil spirit targets those who conjure him up, a circle of friends that includes Giles and Ethan Rain. And while Buffy tries to save them, Jenny ends up in harm's way. (sighs) Pretty straightforward. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a pretty good... That's a pretty good one. So what are our international titles for okay. this week? So this week in Czech, we have Dark Times. Finnish mm. is Powers of Darkness. French, The Hidden Face. Oh, I like that. German, The Mark of Igon. Italian is just Darkness. Japanese, again, straightforward, Past Secrets. Ooh. Polish, Demons of the Past. Oh, I think that's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. Romanian, Middle Ages. And in Spanish from Spain, we have the dark years. I think Demons of the Past is my yeah, favorite. Yeah, although the dark years, it's it seems like it should be like a book or a comic series. Giles, the dark years. It does. It does. Yes. I also kind of like the Middle Ages because like I know they're using it because the Middle Ages were also called the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages, yeah. But I do like it because it harkens back to the exchange between him and Jenny. Yes. In Igon. And I know yes. it's not, or not in Igon, in the Moloch episode. Yes, but, yes. And I know it's not supposed to, but I just. No, no, no. It, like it's, yeah, we like to connect things that might not necessarily actually be connected. That's what we do best. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Our Slayer Spiel returns this week, Giles providing voiceover, right before we move to Sunnydale High, where a very nervous-looking Brit wanders the campus, (laughs) more than a bit out of his element. He runs into the janitor, who asks him if he's looking for someone, and he replies, Rupert Giles. The janitor then tells him that Giles is the librarian and can be found in the next building over. Quickly, our visitor hurries in that direction. I feel like the size of Sunnydale High keeps changing. It does. Oh, yeah. Like sometimes it feels like everything can be accessed from one building and other times it seems like it's made up of several different buildings. Well, I mean, some of the classes are made up of several different class levels. So why shouldn't the building be made up of several different uses? This is true. And I mean, I guess this is what happens when your school literally sits atop the mouth of hell. Yeah. I mean, it's all changing, you know. (laughs) As he approaches the door, he hears a noise that gives him pause. Looking around, he convinces himself there's nothing there right before a female form appears, standing in shadow. He sees it, and it draws closer. Turns out it is Deirdre, an old friend now taken over by some sort of demon. She comes at him and he runs for the door, beginning to pound on it, wanting to be let in. But it's pointless, as in the library, Buffy is working on her cardio, (laughs) blasting music that makes it impossible to hear anything else, and has poor Giles covering his ears. Poor Giles. It is a lot. (laughs) It is a lot. lot. (laughs) He asks her if they really must have such noise while she works out, and she tells him that it's not noise, it's music. No, no, he knows music, Music has notes. That's noise. 
<laughs> she says she's aerobicizing, that she needs a beat. Fantastic. She can work on her muscle tone while his brain dribbles out of his ears. <laughs> so fun fact. Yes. Uh, though it's been synthesized and modernized, there are actually notes in here. Yes. <laughs> and there is a guitar riff in here that, if you listen very carefully, is from the musical Jesus Christ Superstar. Yes. And it's the underscore of 39 lashes. Yes. Yeah. It, it's 39 lashes from the trial before Pilate. It's in the overture and it opens up heaven on their minds. Yes. And so heaven on their minds is sung by Judas. Yep. Which on the concept album of the musical was performed by Anthony's brother, Murray Head. Yes. I didn't realize that they were brothers until like, Maybe a couple years ago. Yeah, I didn't know until I was doing something and it, and it was like a trivia, like a pop-up trivia thing that popped up. And I was like, what do you mean the one knock at night in Bangkok man is Giles' yeah, brother? Yeah, because I mean, like, I, like, I've always known, you know, they're, you know, I've always known them as separate entities because i i mean one night in bangkok is one of the few broadway songs that you can actually hear on the radio yeah and i mean it is a fun song it's so good it's so good and you know what and even taken out of the context of chess it's still fun oh yeah although and if but if you don't know chess you're like why are they singing about pieces on a chessboard what is happening in this song yeah but yeah no and and i knew that and i knew that murray was Judas in the concept. So that's a very musical family they got there. Yes, it is. Yes. Outside, our new friend is calling for help as Deirdre, or what used to be Deirdre, catches up to him. Putting her hands around his throat, she begins to squeeze, his eyes going wide as he begins to choke. Inside, finishing up her workout, Buffy turns off the music, much to Giles' relief as he proclaims, and the rest is silence. (laughs) This, of course, is a reference to Hamlet's last lines in the Shakespeare play of the same name, uttered as he's dying and implying that he sees his impending death as a relief of sorts. The timing of this line is great in Mm -hmm. that not only is Giles relieved to have the music stop, but it's the line uttered before the death of our friend outside. Yes. Deirdre snapping his neck before dissolving into a puddle of goo. In a heart-wrenching parallel, this phrase is also used in the Buffy movie. Yep. Said by Merrick as he's dying, and then by Buffy near the end of the film. Yep. Credits! Yay! We return from the credits to a nightmarish series of images. A group of people sitting in a circle, candles, a demonic face, an arm being tattooed, and someone leaning low over a candle whispering, it's time to go to sleep. These end, and we discover the person having this nightmare is Giles. Woo! As we, and we're going to try real hard to get <laughs> the title of our the current the title of our recording page right now is the thirst is real so you've come along on this journey with us you know how we feel about giles so buckle up buttercup because it's gonna be a fun ride <laughs> yes <laughs> as we are now in giles's bedroom and not just in Giles's bedroom, but we are in Giles's bed because the camera is clearly positioned beside him as he wakes up and looks around. And he's in his pajamas and they are the pajamas that you would expect this man to wear. I, I have a note about that. I said he has like the ultimate dad pajamas. Yes, yes. Like you could see him coming downstairs on Christmas morning in, in those pajamas. pajamas. Yes. It's bad people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know what? All Giles has to do is breathe and we're fainting over here. Uh Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, I can't deny it. Yeah. yeah. No, no. So also there's a coat of arms above Giles's bed, but it's not actually the Giles family coat of arms because that doesn't have lions. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what it is, but it's cool looking. I think they just went to a thrift store and found it and hung it up on the wall. It was in the prop department. It's what they had. This was the 90s. We didn't really do a lot of historical accuracy. We moved to Sunnydale High, where Buffy and Willow are sitting outside playing everyone's favorite game, Anywhere But Here. Oh, yeah. Apparently, we will see them play this game again in the season eight comics. Only by then, Buffy's dream date has changed to Daniel Craig and Willow's to Tina Fey. But for now, Buffy imagines herself to be on a tropical island somewhere, laying on her towel with Gavin Rosdale massaging her feet. And in case any of the youths listening do (laughs) not know who Gavin Rosdale is. Oh, the youths. He is a British musician, best known as being the lead singer for Bush. He's also the father of Daisy Lowe and was married to Gwen Stefani from 2002 to 2016. And he was he was one of the hot things at the time that this episode came out. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Yeah. So, you know, just keep in mind, children, that these are the men that we worked with. Bush and Oasis were our British invasion. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Willow says she's in Italy, sitting in a little cafe, eating ziti, and there are no more tables left, so they're forced to sit this guy with her, and it's John Cusack. John Cusack, I'm going to assume more people know, thanks to movies like Hot Tub Time Machine. Yeah. But around the time this episode came out, he was doing a lot more like rom-com style things. Right. Such as Gross Point Blank and... Anastasia, yeah, where he voiced our favorite con artist, Dimitri. Yes, yeah, and and John Cusack goes back far. Yeah, like, he like has say anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, better off dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Journey of Natty Gan for Disney fans. Oh yeah, he's he's been doing stuff forever. Yeah, yeah. So he was he was a teen star too. So. Buffy tells Willow she has such an eye for detail. You know, because of the ZD. That's a good detail. I like ZD. I I would eat ZD with John Cusack. So much. Yeah. Xander comes up and asks what the two are doing. Playing a quick round of Anywhere But Here. Ah, Amy Yip at the Waterside Park. (laughs) Willow tells him that's always his answer. And he says he's just not fickle like them. That he's constant in his affections. Amy Yip at the Waterside Park. (laughs) Okay, so I'll admit that was a name I didn't know. Yeah, no, I didn't know that one either until we talked about it. And I had never really thought about it. So I looked it up and, um, yeah... Yeah. So apparently Amy Yip is a Chinese actress and she actually has not made a film since about 1997. But in the 80s and 90s, she was one of the leading sex symbols in Chinese cinema. So you know how we said there are those moments when Xander is not so great? Yes. This is one of those moments. This is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, this whole game is basically everyone having fantasies. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, it's just, yeah, it's, it's just everyone's fantasy. Like I, I, I think for a while, because I didn't know the name, I assumed it was just somebody maybe they knew or like. I think I always assumed it was a musician or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Something. Yeah. Like I just, like I never, and you know what? The other thing is, it's like, until we were doing this podcast, I didn't care to look things up. No. Like if I knew something or if, if and that was just a little detail that I didn't care about at the time. Yeah. But like, like I said, I never really thought much about it until I was yeah. like, oh, OK, well, who's that person? Yeah, exactly. So you can look her up on your own. Yes. She is very pretty. She's gorgeous. See, yeah. Yeah. You can see why Xander 
being a teenage boy, would choose that. (laughs) Willow asks if they think Giles ever played anywhere but here in school. Giles? No. Xander says he lived for school. That he's probably still bitter there were only 12 grades. Uh, Yeah, Buffy says he probably sat in math thinking there could be more math. This could be mathier. (laughs) Also, also it's obvious that Xander doesn't know how the British school system works. Yes. (laughs) Yes. No. He's not, and I mean, even in the American school system, he's not even taking college into consideration. University, yeah. Yeah, when clearly Giles is someone who would have, you would think would have pursued that. Yeah, because technically there are more than 12 grades. Yeah. Because you have, you know, you have the the college, you have, you know, master's level, you have, there, there's a lot of higher levels that you can go after. Yeah, but I think, I think we're just dealing on like the high school. Yeah, yeah. Thing here. Which but is, again, this is yes. such a great, this is such a great conversation for this episode. It is. And actually, there we'll get to it in a second. There's a part that got left out that makes it even better. Oh, cool. They don't think he ever got restless. Restless? His diapers were tweed. (laughs) Buffy then calls Giles over, and as he joins him, she asks if he's wearing tweed. A joke he obviously does not get. Poor Giles. He says he wanted to talk to her about tonight. Why? What's going down? Uprising? Prophesized ritual? Preordained death fest? Things Xander calls the old standards. Thankfully, the problem is none of those, just a blood transport. Something they hope to prevent from becoming a vampire meals on wheels. (laughs) Giles says they'll meet at the hospital at 8.30. He'll bring the weaponry. And Buffy will bring the party mix. (laughs) He tells her just not to be late. Has she ever let him down? Does he want her to answer that? Or shall he just glare? (laughs) So in the original script, there was more to the Buffy and Giles exchange outside where she calls him Henry Higgins. (laughs) And tells him that... Fashion has evolved in the past few years. And in that same conversation, he tells her that the problem with today's culture is the lack of decorum, which leads to feel-good nihilism. (laughs) Giles. Now, of course, at this point, they don't realize Giles is speaking from experience. Yes, yes. That was the thing that you were saying. It's perfect for this episode. It it really is. That's a great little moment that I'm kind of sad it got cut. Yeah, yeah. My God, he's so British. <laughs> so British. Like, so, like, yeah. yeah. And, and, and the thing is, like, I love how British they make him. Like, it really, oh, yes. it, it really emphasizes just how different he is from the rest of them and how out of place he is. And it just leads to so many good moments. Speaking of British, Jenny oh. arrives greeting him with a good morning, England. <laughs> oh, I could, I could go, I could wax about her too. Uh, oh, like, I know. He stammers out a response, first going to call her Miss Calendar before settling on Jenny, so it comes out a Miss Jenny. <laughs> it's all kinds of adorable. Oh and my causes God. Willow to turn to Xander, asking if he can feel the passion. Oh, no. Oh, I didn't even catch that. I didn't either until you just said it. Oh, now I'm sad. Y'all know what's coming up. You know why we're sad. You're not, you're not new to this whole rodeo. Well, now everything is ruined. <laughs> so I pull my headphones out and my like. <laughs> I know pitch. you. You were you were just you were ready to flip tables. <laughs> Flipping this podcast. Remember what we said that we're connecting things that may not actually be connected. There you go. <laughs> 
Jenny hears this and says her name, leading to her giving a cute little fake cough and saying that she was coughing, not talking. (laughs) Jenny then asks if they're still on for tomorrow. What's tomorrow? Jenny is hosting an extra computer class for a few students that have fallen behind, and Will is helping for extra credit. Xander laughs at all those poor schlubs (laughs) having to go to school on a Saturday. Right before Jenny asks if 9 a.m. works for him, he stops and Buffy tells him he has a bit of schlub on his shoe. (laughs) Jenny then adds that Cordelia will be joining them. Extra school and Cordelia? Throw in a bit of rectal surgery and it's his best day ever. Why do they hate Xander? He's got such good lines. I know. Taking that as their cue to exit, Jenny asks Giles to walk her to class. As they walk away, Buffy says, look at them. A twosome of cuteness. They are. They really are. Willow says, can't they just imagine the two of them getting together? (laughs) And they do. And they do. For a moment before uh, the image totally grosses them out and they go their own, <laughs> they go on their way. They're, the the way that their faces shift between being happy for the two of them to realizing that they're adults and adults have sex is just, is good. During the scene, Buffy claims a book from her locker, The Europeans by Luigi Barzini, which is, according to Google Books, an examination of European culture and history and of the nations that must be a base for a unified Europe. Okay. So she must be on her way to history class. Probably. Yeah, I I would guess so, Mary. As they walk towards Jenny's classroom, she thanks Giles for lending her the Forrester novel. Apparently, she found it both romantic and provocative. There were so many moments she loved that she wanted to read again. (sighs) She had to dog ear almost every page. And then, of course, she underlined some of the passages (laughs) she wanted to discuss before she spilled her coffee on it before. She can't even read it now. What? But that was a first edition. His (laughs) father's. She tells him she's lying, that she just likes to see him square. He squirmed well then. She asks if anyone's ever told him he's a fuddy-duddy. Yes, it seems no one tells him anything else. (laughs) Well, has anyone ever told him he's a sexy fuddy-duddy? No. That part always seems to get left out. She looks at him for a moment, smiling the cutest smile ever. She's so cute. Before asking him about that weekend. Would she like to go out? No. She wants to stay in. They kiss right as the bell rings and students begin filling the hall, causing them to quickly break apart. He confirms Saturday and she agrees, adding that maybe she'll see if she can make him squirm. Mm. Damn you universe! Just... They were perfect together. They were. They really were. And it just, like, in this episode, things go bad. And then they get better. And then they they go bad again. And then they get real bad. I wonder which of the E.M. Forster novels. I don't know. I was wondering that myself. I uh, Probably either Room with a View or Howard's End. I would almost think Howard's End. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think probably Howard's End. That that's, and then here, here is our lit nerding moment yes. for all so, you people. There's yeah. a lot of all kinds of nerding on this podcast. There's, yeah, yeah. We, we, we cover the gamut. Still in a bit of a lovesick daze, Giles enters the library where a sign tells us the hours with a miss- missing H are 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And apparently there's a hacking club that meets on Fridays. <laughs> Speaking of libraries, uh, did you know that Anthony visited American high school libraries to prepare for the role? No, I didn't. He did. This library is so much better than the rest of our libraries. He was probably very disappointed by the libraries he saw. They were not this pretty. No, no, no. They definitely weren't. Waiting inside the library for him is a homicide detective, Detective Winslow, and two uniformed officers. The detective informs Giles that he needs to come with them. He asks why, and she tells him that there was a homicide on campus the night before, that the victim had no identification, but he was carrying a slip of paper with Giles' name and address on it. Okay. 
Hold on. Yes. The murder occurred on campus. Yes. Which we know because we saw it happen. Yes. Why was that not what people were talking about sitting outside school that morning? I know. You know, I like, I thought about that too the last time I watched this episode because- Like, there would have been police tape everywhere. There would have been, like, officers milling about campus. School probably would have been canceled. Because he was- banging on the back door while Buffy was working out. So he was found literally outside the back entrance to the library. Yeah, that should have been what Willow and Buffy were talking about sitting outside of school. Yeah, like, hey, there's another dead guy. We probably are going to be involved in this. I mean, like, just that's not something that you would just casually find out. There would have been cop cars all in front of the school when you showed up. Yes, it would have been on the morning news. Yeah, would have been there would have been the phone tree would have been activated and all the parents would have known that, hey, there's no school today because they found another dead guy. Not in a locker, not in a locker, but outside the door leading to the back of the library. (sighs) Also, I, I missed it. There were hours on the library door. There's it's the little sign. Yeah. That when you walk in, there's a little sign that um like you put like, you know, the little black sign yeah, that you yeah, put yeah. the white letters on. Yeah, the very last bottom says the hour. So it's open so, eight AM to eight PM. So Giles is there every night until eight yes. PM. But so okay, so if the library is open until eight PM. Why is Snyder always why like is Snyder, why is Snyder always mad when there's students there after hours? Plot. I know. Yes, I know. I know. Like, but, but the fact that the fact that there's hours on the door and that apparently they are allowed, you know, pe- kids are allowed to be there, which, which makes sense, you know, cause in the nineties, not everybody had computers in their home. And well, and also research on the internet wasn't exactly. as big exactly. a thing. Exactly. So like so if you, you had a paper to do, you were going to be stuck in the library. Exactly. So like it, it does make sense. I mean, I didn't know. I don't think my library was open until eight o'clock. No, I think ours but, was open until like six. Yeah, yeah. But so, yeah. So that's a good, ex- that could be a good excuse. Like, hey, it's eight, it's, you know, 630. I'm just here studying. I just need to get something out of my locker to go back to the library. Yeah. Ah, oh, plot. Yeah, plot. Giles begins to examine the slip of paper through the clear evidence bag that it has been sealed into when Cordelia enters the library. More than a little put out that she has to read a computer book as well as attend the extra <laughs> session. Isn't the whole point of computers to replace books? Giles motions to the officers behind him and tells her he's a little busy right now. <laughs> Seeing them, she pushes past Giles and asks if they can help her with a ticket. It's totally bogus. The sign said one way, and she was going one way. (laughs) It was the wrong way, Cordy. (laughs) Giles snaps her name and Cordelia turns, asking why everyone says her name like that. She's not deaf, and she can take a hint. What's the hint? To come back later. I love it. She leaves, and Giles tells the officers that he is ready to go. Where? Why to the morgue, where an attendant is opening one of the refrigerated drawers and pulling out the body inside. He asks Giles if he's had breakfast, and when he answers no, says that's probably for the best. (laughs) He pulls back the sheet to reveal the body of the man from the opening, bruised and looking a little worse for the wear. The detective asks Giles if he knows him, and he says yes, he does, or rather did. His name is Philip Henry. He knew him back in London, but it's been 20 years since they last spoke to one another. The detective then asks if he knows why Philip might have been trying to contact him now. No, he has no idea. 
The gaze travels down to Philip's arm in the tattoo that sits there. Hmm. Seeing him glance at it, the detective asks if he knows what that is. The tattoo. No, he doesn't. Giles! Giles, why are you lying? You are a terrible liar, Giles. No, I mean, he's a good liar. I mean, yeah, yeah. But, like, is it really smart to lie about a tattoo that is also on your own body? Yeah, and, like, but the thing is, yeah, like, uh, yeah, like, it just is going to have more questions. But they're not exactly going to say, hey, take off your shirt so that we can see if you have the same tattoo. No, but like, let's say Giles was super sus and got <laughs> arrested. Yeah, but he's already super sus. So you got to take that into account. Yeah, that's true. If he is, because he is not suspect at this point. No, he is not a suspect at this point. He's just there to identify the body. Yeah, he's just like, my friend came, my old friend came from England and unfortunately got brutally murdered and I have no idea officer. Why ever would you think so? I'm guessing like police chief Bob from a couple episodes ago is going to have to get involved somewhere because this body up and disappears. The the body disappeared. It was found outside the school. Police chief Bob is just going to have to get involved. Yeah, yeah. Police chief Bob. He's got so much overtime. He does. All he wants to do is be at home with his wife and his kids, but no. He gets these calls from the mayor's office. He's got to go make stuff disappear. uh, Yeah. Poor Bob. At the hospital, Buffy waits outside with no sign of Giles. She turns towards a payphone. Yes, a payphone. A payphone. I I have I I will have some some notes later about telephones in this episode. Don't be making fun of Giles's telephone. Oh no 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 no! I'm not making fun of Giles's telephone. I'm just mentioning how 90s everything is in this episode. Okay. Yes. That's gonna no. be like I have a rotary phone oh, sitting no, no, across no. the room love, from me. I, I have a great appreciation for a rotary phone. Okay. And rotary phones. I mean, how many times in 90s, 80s, 70s? movies where they used as a weapon that's true (laughs) no it has nothing to do with the phone itself but let's go on (laughs) she's about to call giles when the transport van arrives oh well all's well that ends in qdr doctors or so buffy says but wait since when do docs receive deliveries okay i get that they needed some way for her to catch on that something wasn't right Mm-hmm. But chances are anyone receiving the blood delivery was going to be wearing scrubs. Yes. And so whether it be a doctor, a nurse, some sort of technician. So what she was looking at really shouldn't have seemed that weird. No. And you're at a hospital. Yeah. But whatever. Plot. Yes. The van pulls away and a car pulls out of the shadow, driven, of course, by a vampire. Turns out the two doctors are also vampires, one of whom tries to sample the merchandise. (laughs) He's told no right as Buffy emerges from her hiding spot. They fight and somewhere in the middle of the fight, Angel shows up. Two of the vamps get dusted, but the third manages to escape, thankfully without the blood. Checking the cooler, Buffy says only one bag got destroyed. She asks Angel how he knew about what was going down, and he says, it's delivery day. (laughs) Everybody knows about it. That's one of my favorite things about Angel showing up in this moment. It's like, all the they have it on their calendars. Asking if he can make sure the hospital gets the rest of the blood, Buffy says she's going to check on Giles. He was supposed to meet her there, but never showed. Maybe he's late. Giles? Giles. (laughs) Who counts tardiness as the eighth deadly sin? (laughs) No, she doesn't think so. He tells her to go that he'll handle the blood. So watching this episode, I realized that in like when I used to watch this earlier and when I watched the first time, I kind of always assumed Angel took a few of the blood back. I always I did too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Not the only one. I was like, like, "Mm, I feel like he took some of that. Yeah, no, I I always assumed 
he did too, because it just made sense that he would. And especially the fact that he knew like that it's delivery day. Yeah. So is there like some deal that's going on where like the vampires will come like, okay, here you can have this bag. You get one bag. Well, we do know from the last episode that Spike is big on sharing. Yes. Yes. So he he probably does a lot it evenly. Yes. Which is good. I mean, that's, yeah, he's, he's a much better leader. Once again, we're going to try to contain ourselves. Yeah, yeah. It's Giles' apartment. Yes. Well, yes. the outside of it. Yes. This episode is actually the first time we see his apartment, which will become a fairly major setting as the series goes on. Yes, I love his apartment, all fangirling aside. I know, I love his apartment, and I have such a love for his front door. Yes. It's so pretty. It's very medieval-y. It's got the little, like, bar to look out. Yeah, like, I feel like when Giles was looking for a place, he saw that door and he's like, that's it. This is it. This is my home. It reminds me of home. Or did he get a new front door? (laughs) Maybe he got a new front door. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I love that door. Yeah, yeah. And during this scene, this whole thing, they, there's a really creepy version of the opening theme playing. Yes. It's so good. It's so creepy. It's so haunting. Like we had we had the instrumental in Prophecy Girl. Yes. And now we have it here. It's really great how this theme, like we talk about how the opening is awesome, but how this theme, you just shift it a little bit. You shift the you know, the key of it, slow it down. You can use it for so many different moments. I need a Calliope version of it. Well, I mean, we also kind of get the opposite too when we get to season six and they change it for the beginning of Once More with Feeling. Yes, yep. And they speed it up and take it higher. Yes. So yeah, no, I do. I do love the different ways you can yeah, change yeah, the theme and, and being, the effect it produces when you do that. Yeah, being a music nerd, Like, I really appreciate what they can do with this opening. Buffy knocks and he answers looking quite disheveled. He seems surprised to see her and says it's late. Is she okay? A question she feels she should actually be asking him. Did he forget the hospital vampires? Handy little takeout containers of blood? Oh, Oh, right. Is she hurt? Other than her feelings? No. What happened to him? He tells her that he's in the middle of something extremely important and that he'll see her on Monday. She tries to find out more, but he just shuts her out figuratively and literally as he all but closes the door in her face. Yep, something's wrong with Giles. Once she's gone and Giles is back inside, we hear him on the phone apologizing for disturbing whoever so late, or rather early, as it's 5 a.m. over in England. He asks to speak to Deirdre Page, the woman from the opening, and says it's rather urgent that they knew each other when they were young. That's when he finds out that Deirdre died and rather recently. Offering his condolences to whomever he was speaking to, he sits back down at the small desk he has in his living room, drowning a bit of scotch or whatever he's drinking. I'm assuming it's scotch. Probably scotch. He stares at a list in front of him before crossing off Deirdre's name. We see two other names crossed off, Philip Henry and Thomas Sutcliffe, which leaves just two others, Giles and Ethan Rain. Ethan! Dun, dun, dun. Whoever could have predicted that Ethan was going to show up in this episode? What a completely random happenstance. Surprise! He gets up from the desk and moves towards a water basin that he has for some reason (laughs) in his living room. Like, could he get any more British? I think at this point it would be impossible for him to get any more British. He is like... Like he needs, he needs, you know, reproductions of the Bayou tapestries on his walls. Yes. 
I mean, we don't know that he doesn't have them. We haven't he seen all have of his walls. Yeah. Pulling off his tie, he rolls up his sleeves, revealing his own tattoo before pouring some water in the basin and splashing it onto the face. With a look in the mirror, he declares, so you're back. <sighs> Disheveled Giles oh is my even hotter God. than normal Giles. I know, I know. I even I even made a note about Rumple Giles being even sexier than normal Giles. Like, like, I could not with him in this scene. This, and then, well, then, and then a little bit later too, when he comes in, like <sighs> there's just Giles. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, people. I'm sorry, <laughs> listeners. <sighs> At the morgue, now dark and abandoned for the night, Philip's corpse awakes in its drawers, pulling the sheet off as his eyes glow green. Something that will not bode well for the poor morgue attendant who comes in the next morning looking over his charts. He checks each drawer and is surprised to find Philip's drawer empty. Before he can truly process that, Philip is throwing the sheet that was once over him over the attendant's head and shoving him in the drawer. At Sunnydale High, Cordelia says the whole school on a Saturday thing is just (laughs) not right. It throws off her whole internal clock. Xandra just wants to know when in the real world are they ever going to use computers? (laughs) Well, there's work, school, home games. Xander says he thinks computers are on the way out. The paper is making a big comeback. Yeah, Willow says. And the abacus. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You don't see enough abacai. They head into the classroom, Xander and Cordelia taking a seat with Willow behind. So were Xander and Cordelia the only students coming to this thing? Apparently. Okay. I mean, again, it works for our purposes. But it does, but I thought about that when they sat down and like Jenny, because Jenny was like, oh, Willow's helping for extra credit. And I'm like, Jenny, are you just giving Willow credit to like hang out? I know, I know. It's like, but yeah, like it can't be just Xander and Cordy who are having issues in no. computer class. But apparently they're the only two that showed up. Yes, probably. You know what? Probably they were the only they on, they got the gold star for the day. Actually, you know what? I really like him asking about when are we ever going to use a computer again, especially because like it's used more now than calculators. Remember in math classes? Yes. The teachers were always like, oh, you're not going to have a calculator in your pocket. Well, guess what? I do have a calculator in my pocket. It's part of my phone. Right? Like I have a calculator and basically a little computer in my pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Like I always wanted to go back to my high school. (laughs) Tell off your math teacher. And tell off my math teacher, pull out my cell phone with the calculator program up and be like, look, look, I have a calculator in my pocket. Like, what do they tell students? What do they tell kids nowadays? Like, they can't tell them you don't have a calculator in your pocket. Right? You'll have to ask Tadpole what his teacher tells him to justify math. So all of you, all of you youths, please write us at thewatchersdiaries at gmail.com or tweet at us at diarieswatchers. And please tell us what your teachers tell you about calculators. (laughs) Jenny starts to give instructions, saying the first thing they're going to do is Buffy, who has just arrived. What? Huh? Did Xander fall asleep already? (laughs) Willow asks if Buffy missed her friends before Xander says she should sit between him and Cordelia. Demilitarize the area. <laughs> yeah, and de-louse Xander while he's there. Buffy says she was actually there to talk to Miss Calendar. Why? Is there a crisis? One Xander hopes involves them going far away from the school. <laughs> it's Giles. Is he okay? That's the thing. Buffy's not sure. She tells Jenny he never showed the night before and that when she went to his house, he seemed very anti-Giles. Like he had been drinking 
drinking? Drinking? Home alone? Tea, right? (laughs) Buffy tells Willow she didn't think it was tea. In the original script, when Buffy first mentions going to Giles' place, Willow seems a bit shocked. He has a place? (laughs) I mean, of course he has a place. She just never thought of him living anywhere except the library. That's, yeah, that's, you know what? That also kind of goes back to the fact that when you realize that your teachers do leave the school. Yeah. Like, I know, like, I have a friend who was like, when I was in elementary school, I thought the teachers just slept in their classrooms. I thought they lived there. Xander says he knew this would happen, that no one could be wound as tight as Giles and not have a dark side. He says his uncle Rory was like that. (laughs) Stodgiest taxidermist you'd ever want to meet by day. But by night, it was booze, sex workers, and fur flying. Xander asked (laughs) if there were sex workers. And Buffy assures him that Giles was alone. Give it time, he says. Give it time. Oh, oh, Rory. So no one's noticed anything different about him. No, not at all. Cordelia says he seemed perfectly normal when she saw him talking to the police. (laughs) What? Why would she wait until now to say something? Because it didn't seem important. Because it's Cordelia. Xander understands. It wasn't about Cordelia. Jenny asked Cordelia what the police were talking to him about, and she says to give her a minute, she knows this. Something about a homicide? The homicide was never mentioned when Cordelia was in the library. No. Also, let me just say something right now. I don't know necessarily that the police talking to Giles would set off any red flags because the police are often at the school with all of the... (laughs) Also, they should all know a dead body was found on campus. Exactly. Exactly. Why don't they know that there was a dead body found on campus? That's not something that's easy to keep secret. Not if, like, the actual police are involved in questioning people. Exactly. Exactly. Like, they... Somebody would have seen the police the police coming to the school and going to the library. Yeah. There are so many plot holes in this episode that we just didn't notice because we were too distracted by Giles and Ethan. Seriously. Buffy says she's calling him immediately and heads to the library. As she enters, heading for Giles' office, she notices a shadow moving across the stacks. Heading up the steps, she moves into the back room, looking around and passing the same bookshelf twice as a figure watches her. The figure goes to topple a bookcase onto her, and we see that it's not other than Ethan! Ethan! Yay! Giles' ex-boyfriend is back. Or, he didn't leave. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Oh, I can't wait. Um, It's not till we get to a new man, but I can't remember if it's Marty or Jane. One of them had something to say on that. Oh, good. Good. She rolls out of the way, and he goes to escape. But he bangs his leg on a book cart, and so Buffy's <laughs> able to catch up with him, saying she recognizes him from the costume shop. He's so pleased, she remembered. He sold her that dress and nearly got them all killed. True. But she looked great. She did. Yeah, she pulls back and bam, right in the face. He asks if that makes them even, and Buffy says she'll let him know when they're even. What's he doing? Snooping around. Huh. Honesty. A nice touch. He tells her it's one of his virtues before taking it back and saying, not really. No. Buffy says she's got a great idea. Why doesn't she call the police and have him arrested for breaking and entering? Then she can go back to what she was doing. Ah, yes, the police. See, problem there is, they'll have all sorts of questions. Mm -hmm. Questions they're really going to need Rupert for. He knows Giles. They go back. Way back. Way back. Buffy doesn't happen to know where he is, does she? We're treated to another round of nightmare flashes. The tattoo 
tattoo, Igon, Philip's corpse with the glowing eyes, glass shattering, and a telephone ringing. Only the last one turns out to be real as Giles awakes, still at that little desk, and still wearing the clothes <laughs> from the night before. He answers the phone and Buffy tells him it's her. He tells her that unless it's an emergency, that he'll see her on Monday. That's when she asks, what's the mark of Igon? When he doesn't answer, she says his name again, telling him that she's in the office with someone who claims to be an old friend of his, oh. Ethan Rain. Giles tells her that she's in great danger with Ethan there, that she needs to put the phone down and get out of the library. She says she's not going anywhere until she gets answers, which is when Philip comes crashing through one of the library windows. These poor, poor oh library windows. Oh my god, windows. how much money do they spend on replacing those windows? A lot. A lot, yeah, definitely. Buffy drops the phone and Ethan hides behind her. <laughs> I love I love. Ethan. I love this tall, skinny man ducking behind a teenage girl. Like, uh-huh. It's just, it's so perfect. This is what makes Ethan fantastic. I know, I know. He's like, I'm not going to face this head on. I'm not the slayer. Nope. On his end, Giles calls to her, and when he doesn't get a response, he heads out, presumably towards the school. Buffy and Ethan both dive over the counter as Philip moves towards them. The others enter, and keeping eyes on Philip, she tells them not to let Ethan leave. Xander <laughs> attempts to grab him, but he gets away, which is when Cordelia kicks him, right in the <laughs> knee, sending him to the ground. Good job, Cordy. Buffy looks behind her towards the bookcase and then runs in that direction. Philip follows and with a kick, she sends him in there closing the door. They lock him in and wait. Ethan now sitting in a chair. Willow says she's not going to chance getting close enough to feel a pulse, but she's pretty sure he's dead. (laughs) Ethan says that he is absolutely dead and tells Philip that he's terribly sorry for that. Right as Giles enters. Is everyone okay? Super. Cordelia kicked a guy. Uh, Good job, Cordy. That's good job. Yes. And Giles in his rumpled state, just looks so good. And he's going to get better. Uh-huh. Jenny tells him they're all right. As Xander says, Philip interrupted their t- t- tutorial, something he's been meaning to thank him for. <laughs> he leans in to say it as Philip growls and rushes the cage. Xander instantly backs up. <laughs> Seeing Philip, Giles says he can't believe it, that it can't be. Ethan assures him that it can. As Giles turns to face him, Ethan <sighs> gives a cheeky grin and a hello, Ripper. Oh, yes. He thought he told Ethan to leave town. He did. And he didn't. Shop's lease is paid till the end of the month. Cordelia asks Xander why Ethan called him Ripper right before she gets a little demonstration. Yes. Giles grabbing Ethan by the back of his neck and lifting him out of the chair. Oh. oh I, lo- I love Cordelia's reaction there. And of course, as all this is going down, I'm just like, hi. Hi. Hi, Ripper. Because Ripper. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, and Cordy, just like, oh. But I could also see her being like, Oh, (laughs) right. He tells Ethan that he should have left town when he had the chance that he's put the people Giles cares about in danger. Ethan asks if he's so concerned about them. Why didn't he leave town? He knows Giles has been having the dreams. He's been having them too. They both know what's coming. Getting in between them, Buffy demands to know what's going on. What's coming? Ethan says to tell her, but Giles balks. Buffy tries to get him to say something, but Philip chooses that moment to burst through the book cage. The door slams into Jenny and she goes down momentarily knocked out. As Giles rushes to her side, Buffy takes on Philip. She kicks him back towards the bookcage, and he hits it pretty hard. Not hard enough to knock him out or kill him, but hard enough. He starts to come forward again before stopping. His eyes go wide, and he shudders for a moment before he, too, drops to the floor, dissolving like Deirdre did. Everyone's surprised, including Buffy, and Willow says, that's not something you see every day. (laughs) 
Cordelia declares she'll be in therapy till she's 30. The goo touches Jenny's hands and we see her fingers twitch as Giles begins helping her to her feet. I love I love in this scene when Philip breaks out that Xander is protecting Cordelia. Yes. Like he immediately grabs her since they were standing so close to the cage, grabs her and pulls her away. Yes. Yes, he does. Good so, job, Xander. So like... As much as he claims to dislike Cordelia, he is not going to let her get hurt. But I, I just love him protecting her. Buffy looks around for Ethan, who seems to have taken advantage of the chaos and escaped. Of course he did. She goes to search for him while Giles continues to fuss over Jenny, telling her to lean into him and that it <sighs> will be all right. I know she's possessed at this point. Yeah. And it's not her. Yeah. But the whole thing is so cute. It's just... The whole thing is so cute and I'm very jealous. I know. I, I want Giles to tell me everything will be okay. Okay. And he just, you can, everybody at the beginning, you assume that Giles is just straight laced, cold. Like, uh-huh. he cares so much about people. He doesn't n- always know how to show it. And he's not comfortable sometimes showing it, which you can go back to his strict upbringing, especially mm-hmm. the fact that his family our watchers. Yes. You know, and it, because it does take him time to warm up to Buffy and to warm up to the rest of the Scoobies. And he's just has such trouble expressing expressing his feelings, even with Jenny, that this is just so sweet. And he knows that he put everybody in danger. I love him so much. She asks if he promises and he says he does. She just lays her head against him and he holds her tight, not seeing that her eyes are now glowing green, just like Phillips did. Oh, no. We skip forward a few minutes to see that Jenny is now situated at the table, holding a damp cloth to her head while Giles strokes her hair. She says her head is throbbing. Buffy returns, having searched high and low for Ethan, but there's no sign of him. She wants to know what's going on. Giles tells her it's complicated and quite honestly private. Buffy doesn't give a fuck about privacy. No, no, Giles, at this point, fuck privacy. Everybody's involved now. What she cares about is dead guys attacking them. Yeah. Giles lost weekending in his apartment. Mm-hmm. He said says he what he was trying to find a solution a solution to what giles share he snaps at her telling her that this is not her battle and that as her watcher he is telling her unequivocally to stay out of it he's taking jenny home helping her out of her chair the two leave as buffy just stands there looking well like a child that just got yelled at by her dad oh yeah yeah but we know that she's not gonna stay out of it oh no because the moment giles and jenny are gone she goes into slayer mode telling the others they have work to do Yep. Willow, she needs to research the Mark of Igon. Find everything and anything she can, both on the net and in the books. Xander, she needs to go through Giles' personal files. Is he okay with that? He says he is and wonders if that somehow makes him a sociopath. Hopping down off the counter, Cordelia then looks at Buffy expectantly. (laughs) Well, what does she need her to do? She cares about Giles, too. I I just... I love loved. I love that. And again, going back to the fact that she's becoming more comfortable with them. She knows about the world that they live in and she's eager to be helpful. Yes. Yes. She yeah, like is. She, she could have she could have just said, you know what? I'm going home. I need a shower. I had a dead guy nearly attack me. But no, she's staying and she wants to help out. Because she also wants to save Team Dad. Yes, yes. She she does like Giles. Buffy tells her to work with Xander, and she says, you know, when she said she cared, Cordelia, go. <laughs> 
And she does. Mentioned in this scene, The Last Weekend is a 1945 film noir drama about an alcoholic writer. It was based on the 1944 novel of the same name. In 2011, the film was actually added to the National Film Registry in the Library of Congress, something only done when a film is dubbed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. I like that this was a reference that Buffy made because so many times, like, we we do see her make these random, obscure references. Obscure, especially to a teenager in the 1990s. Yeah. So it just goes that she is well-rounded. I could see her and Joyce watching old movies together. And I think we do get actually con- that confirmed that yeah. they do. Yeah. Like I do, like, yeah, like I said, I, you know, just because I can't remember a lot of stuff that happened. But yeah, like I do like that the writers show her as being well-rounded like that. She's a good Buffy. She is a good Buffy. At Giles' place, Jenny thanks him for taking her there, saying she wasn't yet quite ready to be alone. He apologizes to her, saying that he never meant for her to be involved in any of it. Jenny says, so what? She got involved. That's what happens when people, you know, get involved. Mm. He tells her that he really should get her home. That it's, that he's not a very safe person to be around right now. She tells him nothing is safe in this world. Hasn't he realized that? Back at the library, Willow's found something. Igon's not Egyptian. He's Etruscan. He's often mistaken for Egyptian due to this design pattern, but any fool can see that it predates their iconography. Actually, Willow, no, it doesn't. Yes. Yep. Willow is wrong. As the first records from the Etruscans date to about 700 BCE, while the first records from the Egyptians go all the way back to 3000 BCE. Yeah, yeah. They they could they should have switched. Yeah. She puts the book she's been looking at down in front of Buffy, pointing to a mark, a symbol worn by his initiates. She tells her that Igon is also known as the sleepwalker and that he can only exist in this plane through possession of a host. And that temporary possession can leave said host with feelings of euphoria. Okay, but what about not so temporary? Unless the proper rituals are observed, permanent possession eats away at the host until the body eventually dissolves and the demon is forced to jump to the next closest dead or unconscious being. Buffy still doesn't understand what this has to do with Giles. Willow informs her that sometimes people would temporarily summon forth demons like Igon at Bacchanals and orgies. (laughs) Giles and orgies. These are two things Xander never thought he'd hear in the same sentence. But we like hearing them in the same sentence. Love hearing them in the same sentence. Two things he doesn't really want to hear in the same (laughs) sentence. Xander, weren't you the one asking if Giles had sex workers at his house like just two hours ago? Yeah, yeah. You you were clearly interested in his sex life two hours ago and now you're not? Okay, but the demon's gone, right? Cordelia says the body went all goo-like and no one in the room was dead. So it's gone. They're all not dead, right? (laughs) No, no one was dead. But someone was unconscious. Uh-oh. We return to Giles's place where Jenny is ripping the phone cord from the wall, making sure that whatever is about to happen, no one can disturb them. See, this is this is where I wanted to talk about phones pre-cell okay. phone error. Just the fact that back in the day, you could just rip the cord out of the wall. You took the phone off the hook if you didn't want to be disturbed, which, you know, shows we'll get to a little bit later, but Yeah, like that's how you knew that somebody was in trouble if you couldn't reach them through their telephone. Yeah. And I like the fact that she like just yanks it out the wall. Uh Uh-huh. Like she could have just taken the phone off the hook and because if she wanted a, you know, she wanted a private moment with them. 
That's all she had to do. No, I'm gonna yank it out of the wall. Yeah, had to be dramatic. You know, that's the demonic way. Giles asks what that noise was, and Jenny says, what noise? Huh. He thought he heard something. She didn't. Handing her a cup of tea, he tells her to drink it and that then he'll drive her home. I don't think we ever get one. I can't remember. But I feel like we really need a scene with Giles and Jenny in Giles's car. Oh, yeah. Because I feel like no one would give him more shit about his car than Jenny. No, we never. No, I don't think we ever get Giles and Jenny in in the car because yeah but I, I feel like it would also be along the same lines of how Buffy said one of these days we need to get you a grown up car yeah yeah he needs a minivan he does he needs the dad van he has a lot of children he needs to transport because especially especially when you get him later down the road in the series where he's just dressing in like dad sweaters yes in jeans and dad sweaters like you could see him in the carpool line Jenny tells Giles that he could take her home or he could use this opportunity to take advantage of her weakened state. I know Jenny's possessed, but I'm not going to lie. I'd probably be saying the same thing. But that, you know what? Even though, even though she's possessed, that's still something that she would say. Oh yeah. I mean, maybe not like the whole take advantage of me thing, but like the whole like, but I'm so scared. Yeah. I'd feel so much more safe if I was here with you tonight. Yeah, like so it's not it's not so off base that you would be suspicious of No. of what she's doing. In the library, Buffy's on the phone with the operator. Apparently there's no answer at Miss Calendar's and Giles' phone says it's out of order. She's <laughs> going over there. Again, going back to old telephones. At Giles's, he's attempting to do the right thing, telling Jenny that while he is very, very attracted to her, that this isn't the right time. Pushing him down into a chair and straddling him, she tells him that there's never been a better time. Mm-mm. No, no, he can't. It He'd be taking advantage of her and it wouldn't be right. Her demeanor begins to change as she gets off of him, looking at him in disgust. He never changes. It wouldn't be right. It's not proper. Someone might get hurt. He's like a woman. He cries at every funeral. Coming in close again, Jenny, or rather, Igon inside of Jenny, tells Giles that he never had the strength for them, that he didn't deserve them. But guess what? He's got them under his skin. With the last line, Jenny's voice changes, Igon now fully coming through. Igon reaches forward, kissing Giles before pulling back and letting the audience see that Jenny's face has now become blended with Igon's. Was it good for him? Igon bangs Giles' face down on the desk, telling him he never had the stomach for all this. But that's fine, because they're about to rip it out. They throw Giles across the room, into the pass-through that exists between his kitchen and the sitting room. I love that. Which is when Buffy arrives, kicking open the door and going straight for Igon. Knocking them over Giles' couch, Buffy readies for another attack, telling Igon to stay back as they get up. Igon smirks in response, saying, three down two to go. Be seeing ya before escaping through Giles's window. <laughs> Buffy's immediately at Giles's side wanting to know if he's all right. His main concern is of course Jenny. He says he can't do this. He can't. There's no way to stop it. Buffy says that he's scaring her and he says he's sorry. Don't be sorry. Be Giles. Aww. They fight monsters all the time. This is no different. But it is different. Why? Because he doesn't know how to stop it? They'll figure something out. No. Because he created it. So in the script, when Buffy says he's scaring her, the narration that's there is actually 
there is real helpless fear in his surrogate daughter's voice. Aww. I love that they acknowledge it. Yes. So yes, the father-daughter relationship is very, very much like canon in there within the script. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, a lot of a lot of what we do and talk about can just be seen as our own interpretations of it. You know, we call him Dad Giles and the way that he he acts. But yeah, it is always nice to get that written confirmation that they are doing all of this on purpose. Yeah. He is a father figure in her life. Yes. And I mean, we see a lot more of that come season yeah. three when, yep. you know, it's it's actually stated out loud. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, it's always yeah, been Yeah, because you have, you have when, they, when they say you have a father's love for, mm-hmm. for the girl. Back to the library, where Willow asks Xander if he's found anything. Only the most meticulous banking and phone records he has ever seen. <laughs> oh, and this. He hands oh. Willow a picture of young Giles, all rocker chic. Oh. This photo was actually created by the production crew superimposing Anthony's head onto Sid Vicious's body. Yes. So just like Spike and Billy Idol have a similar look. Yeah, young Giles was apparently very close in aesthetic to Sid Vicious. It is, yeah, yeah. The time frame is is definitely good for for that. <laughs> As Xander shows Willow this, Giles begins to tell Buffy of his past. He was 21, studying history at Oxford and the occult by night. Between the rigors of his study and the pressures of his destiny, he just couldn't handle it. So he dropped out, went to London, and fell in with the worst crowd that would have him. <laughs> they practiced magic, mostly small stuff for pleasure and gain. But then he and Ethan discovered Igon. One of them would go into a deep sleep and the others would summon him. It was an unbelievable high. Giles says they were fools. And Buffy, realizing what comes next, says they couldn't control it. One of the others, Randall, he went too far and Igon took him whole. They tried to exercise the demon, but in the end, Igon killed him. They killed him. They thought doing so would get rid of Igon, but now it seems they're back. So in Giles' story and in the Demons of the Hellmouth book, the person who dies is Randall. Mm -hmm. On his list that we saw earlier and in the monster book, it says the person who died was Thomas. Weird. Yeah. So I don't know when the name got changed, but yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's weird. Buffy takes a minute to process the information before realizing the demon is going for Ethan, and she needs to beat him there. Giles says they need to beat them there, but she says no. He's mobile. He's he's barely mobile, and time is kind of of the essence here. She'll go alone. Giles says he doesn't know how to stop Igon without killing Jenny, and Buffy says she has the others working on it. They'll do her best to contain them until they figure it out. Giles apologizes again, and she says she knows. I really like this scene with her, especially when he talks about how he was afraid of his destiny. Yes. Because it really shows her that he had a destiny too. Yes. She, you know, the whole the whole thing with the Slayer is, yes, she's called, but on the, the Watchers are called too. They have their own, you know, and in that it's, you know, it's a family thing most of the time where the, the responsibility is passed down through the family. Yes. But the responsibility is still there. They are raised knowing that this is what they're going to be doing. Giles has always been interesting to me because it's a little bit different for him. And I, and I like that. Like his, his grandmother was on the council. His father was on the council and his grandmother was head of the council Mm -hmm, at one point. mm -hmm. And Giles, you know, felt this enormous pressure to follow in their footsteps to become part of this destiny. And, you know, he drops out for a while, you know, grandma shows up and is like, "Mm, mm -mm." yeah, gets him to go back. 
And then, you know, the slayer of this generation is called and, you know, he pretty much says, okay, like he's not going to be called. He's not going to have to be a watcher yeah i mean he's still working for the council but you know he's also working at the museum or whatever he was doing and then the slayer's watcher dies yeah yeah and he unexpectedly is told he has to go to america yeah like and it it's it's also really interesting because even when you when you go back to the movie and also like when you go you you look at the movie where she was so far behind in her training and then you look at kendra who was raised by her watcher yes like in that in that like the Kendra case, it almost reminds me of like the Jedi. Yes. Where you leave your family behind and you go f- and you are raised in this training. Some slayers are. I mean, some yeah. slayers are identified. Uh, I think we get into it in the comics and then we get into it in the two books that just came out because those deal with the Watchers Academy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They talk a little bit about how they have the list of potentials or they go, they go out trying to identify potentials, potentials and sometimes they find them and sometimes they don't. Right, right. And so Buffy was one of the ones they didn't find until she was the Watcher yeah. or until she was called to be she the Slayer. Yeah, yeah. So, so it is a very interesting mythology and lore that they have it for is. them. Yeah. So there are three things about this scene. One, Giles dry cleaning is hanging on the stairs and that's adorable. He's a bachelor. He's not going to put it away right away. He's not going to put it away right away. Two, uh, remember what we said about last week, really kicking off the rest of the season and how those life lessons are going to come into play. Well, what we're seeing right here is basically Buffy's entrance into adulthood. Yep. As, you know, the look on her face when she says, I know, is her realizing that the adults aren't always going to have the answers, not even Giles. Yeah, the adults are just as screwed up as everybody else. They're not infallible. No. And three, that line is actually one of Anthony's favorite moments because of the raw emotion he got to tap into. Mm-hmm. Apparently there was a take where he like full on wept after saying the thing about killing Jenny, but the creator used a less emotional take as he thought you always shouldn't try to push emotions. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about this a whole bunch more when we get to passion as Anthony had a lot to say about a certain scene in that episode. Yeah. And and also even even how subtle he is with the emotion, it just goes to show how good he is. And yeah. he has all of that British dramatic training. So it, it is also fun to watch the super serious British actor do things like this and play it, play it straight. Mm-hmm. It's... It's so much fun. Also, there was a scene cut here where Demon Jenny eats a dog. So good job cutting that. Oh, good. Yeah, we 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 didn't need no. Mary and I were already traumatized from a dog related yes. thing in a book that we were reading, so we didn't need that again. Buffy heads to the shop looking for Ethan. She calls out to him, saying that Giles told her everything. Appearing from behind some boxes, he remarks, and so you came to protect me. I'm touched. (laughs) She assures him it's nothing personal, that to protect Giles, she needs to protect him. Ethan wonders how it is that Ripper inspires such goodness. And Buffy tells him simply because he's Giles, and he's not. Well, anyway, lucky him. Yeah, lucky him. Ethan tells Buffy that they can't run. Igon will find them. The mark, it acts like a homing beacon. That's fine. Buffy's not much for running. How manly. (laughs) Well, one of them has to be. He's going to hide till it's over. Does the shop have a back door? He says there's an entrance to the back room, but it's fairly solid and he's almost certain it's locked. Fine. They'll set up there. She motions for him to head to the back and he tells her that no, no. 
ladies first. <sighs> she stupidly trusts him. I know. Like, I, this whole scene, this whole scene bo- does bother me because she stupidly trusts him. This guy has proven to be nothing but a pain in the ass. Exactly. You know, it, and you should have taken a hint from Giles, who was very angry about this man being here. I mean, this man caused so much chaos on Halloween. And you're <laughs> so much. you're gonna put your back to this guy? No, you never put your back to Ethan Rain. No, I would have been like, you know what? No, 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 no. After you, you lead the way. This is your shop. And that could have also, I'm also, of course, seeing a scene of like, no, after you. No, (laughs) after you. Okay, we're going to go together. (laughs) Let's hold hands. You know what? It kind of, I was just thinking um, the scene in the movie Clue. Yeah. Where the two of them, where the maid and the one guy are going up to the attic. And they're like, we're going to go together. So they're shoulder to shoulder. And as they go up, it gets tighter and tighter. So it's just this comedic scene of them trying not to put their back to each other. I do like that one. Yeah. Yeah. That's how that's how I'm seeing it. She heads in that direction right before Ethan grabs a two by four and knocks her out. She comes to tied to a table. Ethan enters carrying a tray and tells her to wakey wakey (laughs) that she's missing all the fun of her initiation. Yet she doesn't want to join his club. (laughs) Well, too late. He already voted her in. He says that he hopes she's not taking this personally, but he really does like her. It's just, well, he likes himself more. Of course he does. And really, if she thinks about it, karmically, this is very good for her soul. Giving of herself so that others may live. She tells Ethan that she's going to kill him. Will I love how- fuck up her karma? I love how, I, I just love how simple her acting is in this scene. Yes. It's just so straightforward. Matter of fact, she's like, I am going to fuck your shit up. The fuck are you doing? Preparing the tattoo needle and ink, Ethan tells Buffy that it might sting a little, but that will pass as soon as the searing pain sets in. He also tells her to feel free and scream if she likes. Back in the library, the gang is still in research mode as Willow says they need to find a way to kill this thing and they need to do it fast. The best part is while she's saying all this, she's sipping tea from one yes. of this cups. This whole, this whole scene is done so brilliantly. And I know they went the whole witch route with Willow and I yeah. know they'll talk about it at the end of this episode and I do love witch Willow so much yeah. and it brings us Tara and all kinds of goodness but I, I kind of wish Willow had become a watcher. I, I love the idea of watching Watcher Willow because she is accepted to Oxford, isn't she? She is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, that would have been just so brilliant. And I know they just wanted to keep the Scooby Gang together. Yeah. Xander suggests hot lava, and Willow tells him that's for a heretic. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Um, bury a potato. Wait, no, that's for warts. Cordelia says she's found the answer. <laughs> To kill a demon, cut off its head. Okay, great. They'll find Miss Calendar and decapitate her. She'll be the school's first headless computer teacher, <laughs> which totally sounds like it should be the title of a Goosebumps book. Oh, yeah. My headless computer teacher. Yeah. Cordelia says that Xander, along with needing a year's supply of acne cream, could do with a brain. That's it. <laughs> 12 years of Cordelia is too many. He's snapping. He doesn't care if she's a girl or not. He's throwing down. (laughs) Yeah, well, she's seen him fight, so she's pretty sure she can take him. He tells her to take her best shot, which is when Willow snaps. Yelling, hey, she gets in between them, telling them that they don't have time for this. Their friends are in trouble and they need to get them out of it. So if they are not going to be 110% behind the idea of being helpful, they can get the hell out of her library. Oh, I love Minnie Giles. They both apologize, promising to behave. (laughs) And she says, good. Now, 
They've done the research. They just need to figure out how to use it. I love how Willow finds her voice. I do too. Anytime Willow just finds her inner strength. Yeah. And she excited. And, and, and even like in this case, it's because her friends are being dumb. Yeah. You know, where she's just like, I've had it guys. We, we, we need to fucking do this. If you're not going to be helpful, go get out of here. Let me be helpful. Xander asks, why don't they just find another body for the demon to jump into? Yes, like in the cemetery. Willow says that won't kill it. It will only give it a change of scenery. And oh, oh, she's got it. She's got it. (laughs) She's so cute. She's so excited. Running to enact her plan, Xander and Cordelia follow with a, she's good. (laughs) Though, okay, I understand why they did this thing, because it's just a neat little thing at the end. And I guess you don't want to go grave robbing, but I'm like, why wouldn't you have just found a random, like, who cares if you decapitate the random dead body? Yeah. But grave robbing was going to take a while. Yeah, yeah, grave robbing, you gotta get shot. It takes a while. You've seen how long it takes for them to dig up a grave. Yeah, no, we don't have time for that. You know, and then, or you have to go to the more but how are yeah. you yeah and there's yeah, trans- calling, calling this person is much faster the trans transporting a body how many morgue attendants do they go through probably a lot <laughs> yeah i i would not want to be a morgue attendant in sunnydale no. no if it if it comes up on linkedin i'm like nope no not not sunnydale nope at the shop, Ethan has finished up tattooing the mark of Igon on Buffy's neck. Taking a look at his handiwork, he says that he thinks he missed his calling as an artist. Buffy tells Ethan that he's messing with things he doesn't understand. Maybe, but the mark on Buffy will at least get Igon off his scent. He then picks up a vial of acid, causing Buffy to gasp. Oh, don't worry, it's not for her. He's finished with her. <laughs> the acid is for him. He pours the liquid over his own tattoo, burning away the skin. As Buffy works a nail under the table, attempting to use it to cut the rope binding her. Okay. Yes. Why didn't they burn away the tattoo sooner? Plot! I know. But yeah, no, if all it would take is getting rid of the tattoo... Yeah. Why wouldn't you just get rid of the tattoo? Yeah, yeah, like... He's bringing it after her because the tattoo is the beacon. So yeah, and like he's burning his own tattoo off. Why wouldn't him and Giles or all of them get rid of the tattoo? I wonder, I wonder if it only works if there's still the same number of tattoos. Okay. So like you knew there were six people who summoned Igon. Yeah. Igon's going to go after six people. Right. Since he tattooed Buffy, he could remove his. Okay. So why don't you? I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to make sense. I know. I know. Make it make sense, Mary. (laughs) I don't know why he just wouldn't have burned his off and been like, see ya. Yeah. But- we had to, because we had to have an epic battle at the end of this episode. It would have been very anticlimactic if Ethan just showed up and was like, hey, Ripper, I brought some hydrochloric acid. Let's burn these tattoos off and go for a drink. Let's, let's burn these motherfuckers off and go out on the town. So that's why. What? <laughs> This change, Ethan removing his mark and Buffy gaining one, causes Giles to have another series of visions. In them, he sees the demon along with the mark on Buffy's neck. Realizing she's in danger, he grabs his coat and heads for the door. Meanwhile, Ethan is telling Buffy that he just hates to mutilate and run. But, well, only he doesn't get the chance to run because Igon has arrived. There is shadow appearing in the doorway lit by an eerie green light. As they enter, we see that Igon has possessed Jenny even further. They tell Ethan it's their time approaching him. Only as they get close, they realize he no longer has the mark, and so they push him aside, going for Buffy. (laughs) Thankfully, Buffy has managed to get herself free from the table and rolls off it before kicking it towards Igon. They fight, and Igon backs Buffy into a stack of crepe. Giles enters, telling Igon to take him, and the demon switches focus. Giles tells Buffy to leave. 
no. She runs and tries to get in front of Giles, but Igon throws her aside. They've been waiting a long time for this. Igon has Giles on the ground and is going in for the kill when Angel arrives, along with the rest of the gang. <laughs> he tackles Igon to the floor, and they struggle for a moment before Angel gets his hound of hands around Igon's throat. Giles says that he's killing her. Foreshadowing. <sighs> But Willow assures him that it's going to work. As feeling threatened, Igon attempts to jump into Angel's body, as it's technically dead. Mm -hmm. This causes an intense internal battle as Angel's face changes human vampire Igon. Eventually, we see Igon leave Angel's body, dissipating. Buffy and the others rush to him as Giles remains beside Jenny. Ethan, of course, takes this moment to slink off. Of course. Buffy tells Willow that she figured the demon would jump. Angel says he put it in danger and it jumped. It just wasn't expecting another demon to be waiting for it. (laughs) One that's been waiting about a century for a good fight. Winner and still champion. (laughs) Looking around, Xander notices that Ethan is gone. Of course. That's a shame as Buffy really wanted to hit him till he bled. (laughs) Well, Cordelia says, at least it's over. Only it's not. As we'll find out in the season nine Angel and Faith comic, Death and Consequences, that Igon actually escaped by transferring into a dead rat. He'll show up as one of the major villains of that arc. Oh, bum, bum, bum. But at least he's not bothering Giles anymore. At least he's not bothering Giles anymore. No. For now, though, we'll go to Sunnydale High, where Buffy is lamenting that she will no longer be able to get the shoes she was saving up for (laughs) because she has to blow her allowance on tattoo removal. (laughs) She only hopes that her mother doesn't see it before she gets a chance to do so. Well, that shirt that you're wearing, Buffy. Right? With the back, with the low, like... But she has the scarf thingy on to cover it. Yes, she does. I would be wearing a turtleneck. Yes. I mean, it is, it's Southern California. That would just make things funnier. Like, I am wearing this turtleneck in the heat (laughs) until I get this tattoo removed. They tell Willow that her plan to put the demon into Angel was pretty brilliant and that maybe she should consider becoming a watcher. Oh, oh no. She could never handle the stress. (laughs) Plus, Xander says the dental plan is crap. Willow doesn't know how Giles does it and Buffy says she doesn't think he has a choice. Speaking of Giles, he is currently rushing to catch up with Jenny. He says he tried to call her the night before to check on her and she tells him that she left her phone off the hook. That lately she's been needing a lot of sleep. He asks how she is and she says she's fine. Not, you know, wind in her hair, the hills are alive with the sound of music, fine. But fine, coping. He says he'd like to help and that maybe they could go to dinner sometime or get a drink whenever she's feeling strong enough, of course. She says, yeah, yeah, sometime. He goes to touch her and she shrinks back, repeating the sometime before she says she needs to get to class. She disappears up the steps, leaving Giles to stare after her. The Ladies! The look on Giles' face, it just, it breaks my heart. I know. And this just goes back to where he just knows that he shouldn't be close to people. <sighs> and and again, like the Slayer shouldn't be close to people because of her duty, because people get hurt. And he like the parallels between him and Buffy in this are just so, so strong in this episode. They really are. Because he loves Jenny. He loves her so much. They're so perfect. They're just so perfect. Fuck this show. Fuck it so much. Fuck it. <laughs> The Hills Are Alive with the Sound of Music is, of course, a line from the title song of the 1959 musical, The Sound of Music. (laughs) The most well-known version of said musical is the 1965 film version starring Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer. Yeah, I can see her. I can see her in my head just going through those hills. He turns to head towards the library and Buffy catches up with him asking about Miss Calendar. Giles is afraid she'll never forgive him. Buffy thinks most important is that he should forgive himself. Aww. 
Giles says he never wanted her to see that side of him. Buffy says she won't lie. It was scary. She's so used to him being a grown-up, she wasn't ready to find out he was a person. Mm-hmm. He tells her most grown-ups are. Some of them are even short-sighted, foolish people. Well, look at that. After all this time, they do have something in common. <laughs> Weird, but also kind of nice. And they stand together for a moment before Buffy says she's pretty sure she's supposed to be training right now. Yes, right. They need to work on her flexibility. She says she has just the perfect music for it as she pulls out a CD. <laughs> Looking at Giles, she tells him to go on, that she knows he wants to say it. It's not music, it's meaningless sound. There. Does he feel better? Yes, actually. Thank you. <laughs> Heading down another hall, when I'm guessing leads to the library, I'm telling you the layout of the school yeah, makes yeah, no they, sense. Yeah, they just, yeah, it it's, it's just keeps changing. You know what? It's Hogwarts. It is Hogwarts. Yes, it's Hogwarts. There we go. Giles tells her that the Bay City Rollers, that's music. Oh, She's Giles. just going to pretend she didn't hear that. And the Bay City Rollers are a Scottish pop band mm-hmm. known for their teen idol-esque popularity in the 1970s. Having sold over 120 million records worldwide, they have been in the past called the Tartan Teen Sensations from Edinburgh, as well as the biggest group since the Beatles. S-A-T-U-R. D-A-Y, night. S-A-T-U-R, D-A-Y, night. (laughs) So that is one of their most famous songs. Along with the cover of Four Seasons, Bye Bye Baby, which can actually be heard in the film Love Actually. Yes, yep. But yeah, no, Saturday Night is the one that everybody in America knows. Yes. And that is The Dark Age. Yeah, you know what? We we held it together a lot we better than I expected. Really us. well. I, I'm <laughs> very, proud of us. I'm very proud of us, Mary. We we managed to maintain our composure for the most part. We we did, we did. lose it. We did lose it a little bit, especially Just- talking about how sexy he looks all rumpled um he has no right he has no right no right no right to look that good and no right to look that good in the dad pajamas no dad pajamas are not supposed to be sexy no no yeah he looks really good in them he does but yes no i i i'm very proud of us we we did okay i mean we we went off the rails a little bit but Just not as bit. much yeah we didn't we didn't reveal all of our daddy <laughs> issues again oh, good job <laughs> Go good team. job team <laughs> i was re-listening to that episode my god we were oh poor dylan so my final thought for this week is just what the fuck was going on in england in the 70s i know yes we have giles and his crew yes conjuring demons in london in 1977 and then a year later you have john constantine and his crew doing the same thing in newcastle and Both times, someone gets, like, dead because of a demon. So apparently, while America was dealing with serial killers in the (laughs) 70s, England was dealing with a bunch of demons. Serial black magic. Now I need a crossover. Right? I need... Miles and John Constantine to hang out. I know, I know. And, And the two of them to just discuss their issues. They're both disasters in different ways. Yeah. So had we gotten our Ripper spinoff a thousand million years ago, Mm -hmm. um, we would have gotten something actually very close to John Constantine as it would have shown Giles doing a bit of paranormal detectiving and Mm -hmm. and ghost hunting in England. Yes. Forever bitter. We didn't get that. I, I... Yeah, I that that would have been so good. Plus, I love seeing one of the reasons why I love, you know, these episodes and the whole Ripper thing is to see how somebody who is so 
buttoned up and tight laced to see where they came from and how they got there. And the fact that he's essentially even overcompensating uh-huh. for how he was. Like he's trying to, he's trying too hard. Poor Giles. I know. Anyway. That's it for this week. Thank you all for listening and make sure you join us next time when we take on season two, episode nine. What's my line part one? Until then, check out our various social media channels, all of which will be listed in the show notes. And if you like the show and you want to let us know it, you can subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts or write to us directly at thewatcherdiaries at gmail.com. Bye. Bye.